Hey guys, welcome back to It's a Brown Thing, and here we are again with another podcast. We have Joseph with us here today. Hi, Joseph. Hey, Romana. How's, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How about you? Yeah, going great. Yeah, glad to be part of the podcast. Yeah, we're super excited to have you here. Let's start off with um, just you telling us a bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a second generation South Asian. Uh, born and raised in Australia, as you can probably tell by my accent, Um, but lived in uh, LA for about two years um, after I moved there for my uh, further education. Uh, Did my master's there um, and then been working in the nonprofit and community space uh, ever since. Uh, So that's a bit about me. Very, very cool. Um, We're really grateful to have you on this podcast and I hope we can cover some pretty cool content today. So you mentioned um, being in the space for nonprofit. So what is that like being second generation? Yeah, it's a bit different, I guess, from traditional careers. I think with the nonprofit space, it's definitely um, a growing area, a growing sector. Um, a lot more uh, younger South Asians are getting into it, I guess, as they kind of move on from you know, the stable sort of nine to five careers. So yeah, nonprofit space is, is definitely an emerging one, um, but I really enjoy it because it's more face-to-face with the community. You're sort of out and about, um, not, not like a typical desk job, um, but it's really great to hear people's stories and um, see how we can kind of connect and collaborate that way. Yep, yep, totally understand that. And so as we've been having these discussions in the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about, how South Asian minorities have their own sort of sect and their own group of how they, you know, function as a minority group just because we're so diasporic in nature. And so how exactly are South Asian minorities different from other ethnic minorities we see in North America and just across the diaspora? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I think with the diaspora, um, it obviously depends where you grow up, where you're raised, uh, of course. Um, it's different for every person in terms of the experience. Um, but as part of the diaspora myself, um, it's been interesting living here in Australia um, after I got back from living in the States. I definitely had that sort of reverse culture shock um, as, as people talk about whenever they move around. Um, but yeah, just reconnecting with the South Asian community here. Um, for the listeners, not many people may know, but um, the South Asian diaspora here in Australia is the fastest growing minority group um, as of the last couple of years. So yeah, it's been really great to see it grow and emerge. Um, but at the same time, there's always challenges uh, living as part of a South Asian community, especially when you're trying to do new things and, and trying to challenge different perspectives. So, so that's been a great experience in and of itself. Um, just trying to push the boundaries in terms of how people view me, my, my own cultural identity. And I think just living in that bicultural space has been, yeah, I've definitely learned a lot. It's <laughs> complete sense. And so going off on that, we've been talking about, you know, breaking these barriers as a minority group. And I think a lot of that comes from some sort of generational gap that we have, you know, as people with immigrant families and living in immigrant households. And so how would you describe the generation gap between immigrants, first gen and second gen South Asians? Yeah, I think the generational gap's an interesting one, right? Because 
we often talk about it, but it's really hard to understand unless you you kind of receive pushback between the two generations. So when I was growing up, um, my my household, obviously living with my parents and having two siblings, uh, was a typical sort of Indian household. Um, but I started to notice the difference um, when whenever I kind of stepped foot outside of my my own home, because I, I noticed the, the difference between the dominant culture and then obviously my South Asian upbringing, you know, everything from, yeah, the way I saw myself um, to the, the way that we interacted with other people, obviously the language was different, the food that we ate was different, um, the way that people saw me was obviously uh, different. So I think the way that I saw myself was also something that developed over time. Um, and, and I definitely had a lot of different uh, cultural clashes with my parents. You know, they, they obviously would say things like, you know, you're not Australian, um, but then I wouldn't see myself as Indian. So there was that, um, that tension, I guess. Um, and trying to reconcile the two was, was often a challenge because uh, I wasn't really, I guess, Australian enough to, to connect with my peers um, and my friends who are Australian, um, white Australian that is. And then, yeah, being Indian, I still didn't really embrace that whole cultural identity growing up because I was kind of running away from it, to be honest, at the start. Um, but as time went on, I, I embraced it a bit more when I started to understand the deeper traditions that we had, obviously the cultural attitudes, the values, the beliefs that my parents instilled in me. And I, I think I appreciated it more um, when I started to understand it. Um, and, and I think the tension between a lot of, uh, I guess, younger South Asians these days is they never get to that point where they're able to hold the two in tension and kind of live in that, that space between not being obviously fully traditional um, in terms of being South Asian, but also at the same time, not being fully American or Australian or whatever the case may be, uh, being part of the diaspora, kind of living between those two worlds in a sense. Um, so that for me was that generational gap, um, but still was able to to kind of connect in in terms of values like respect, respecting elders and um, understanding like cultural um, traditions and festivals and things like that, uh, which I really appreciated, which other people, um, other white Australians didn't really um, understand. Yeah, yeah, that makes complete sense. I think definitely being a younger South Asian myself, there's still some push and pull between, you know, how white you have to be or how brown you can mm -hmm. be and where mm -hmm. you see yourself in that and also just how other people see you growing up. Um, because it definitely is a, it's an experience growing up I live in the Bay, and so it is a very diverse place. But at the same time, we see so many South Asians who are almost trying to fit the mold of either like white, black, like we talk about the black, white appropriation phenomena mm -hmm. that we have going on here. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to fit yourself in a particular category and learn to accept yourself as different from just a two dimensional fold of identity. So I think that definitely makes sense. And speaking on that, um, what is the black-white appropriation phenomena and how is it affecting our diaspora? I know we just talked about this a little bit, but I know you can tell us a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think ever since, or even going back to 
um, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, which is still going strong. Um, but I think, you know, after the George Floyd um, tragedy, there's a lot more um, South Asians in terms of the movement getting involved um, and seeing, I guess, the connection between um, typical um, oppression that was um, received by the, the African-American community and sort of parallels that have been going on within the South Asian community in terms of racism or prejudice, things like that, that um, people have experienced over the years. Um, and and kind of connecting with that myself, um, when I was living in, in Los Angeles, obviously there's a deep history in terms of the civil rights movement, things like that. Um, I think I connected a lot with that. Um, and, and being involved with the South Asians for Black Lives uh, movement uh, myself when I was there and then coming back and seeing um, sort of, I guess, the the similar things that people were going through here in the South Asian community. Um, it was, yeah, it was definitely interesting kind of seeing the parallels between that. Um, I know for sure, like the Black-White binary is definitely there when we try to uh, obviously gravitate between one cultural appropriation or another um but yeah when it comes to that i think it's really great to see how people have been able to notice sort of their own prejudices i mean we have our own within the south asian community against african americans traditionally um but but definitely i think younger south asians are kind of um, pushing back against that and and seeing the movement grow has been has been great i mean there's a lot of great organizations like Malika and um, Equality Labs um, that are doing some great um, development of resources around that. So, yeah, just connecting with them and kind of learning um, or unlearning um, my own prejudices um, and seeing how we can kind of um, work together with, with the movement there has been has been great. Yeah, definitely. I think as minorities, a lot of the times we forgive ourselves for prejudices in our own community, and I think. The South Asian community definitely has a lot to work on, just like every other minority group does. And we often forget that in a hope to find our identity somewhere in the popular cultural phenomena we see around us, we don't have to pick between ones. But we, you know, it's important to remember that we have our own identity and our own culture that we can look back at. And speaking of that, um, personally, cultural heritage for diasporic youth is a big topic that we've been talking about so far. Yeah. I know we've been discussing that for the past couple of weeks and so are you in favor of south asian youth being culturally competent or do you think assimilation is a better route yeah that's a good question um sometimes it 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 doesn't have to be either or it can be both and like i mentioned a little bit earlier i think when we're living in the tension between the two it's really hard to balance that and i think for everyone um it's different in terms of their journey um towards you know embracing their cultural identity but but i will share an example i think that kind of sheds light on it a bit more um when i first moved to the states uh, this is going back 2013 um i always kind of imagined that uh, american culture was very similar to my own i mean growing up in australia is still kind of seen as a western culture so that was my kind of understanding um, and obviously consuming, you know, American media, American culture. Uh, growing up, um, I thought it was all the same until obviously I set foot 
uh, in the States. I didn't know the, the massive gap between the, uh, the two cultures. And yeah, I think for the first six months, it was very difficult um, for me to, yeah, just make friends, even South Asians, connecting with South Asians um, in Los Angeles. It was just a very different cultural identity that they had uh, to mine. Um, and not to say that it was wrong or mine was different or whatever the case may be. It was just, yeah, I think my expectation and then versus the reality of, you know, people having their own cultural identity, um, despite us being South Asians, um, it's obviously different in terms of how we view ourselves. So that for me was sort of like a, um, a reality check, if you will. And then, yeah, I guess being part of the community and and um, seeing how things were different, but learning from that uh, that experience, it taught me a lot uh, not to judge um, South Asians for who they are. Uh, every, like I said, everyone is still working out how they view themselves, how the world views them, um, and vice versa. So it's it's definitely um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting journey, and and I think it's still going on. It's is definitely something that you don't kind of figure out overnight. Um, but having said that, I think there's things to learn from from every culture, right? Um, there's good and the bad. I think we got to take it with a grain of salt. Um, there's obviously a lot of things that we gain from the dominant culture, like you know, when we see women's rights or equality um, or justice for all, right? These are things that are not typically uh, ingrained in us from a from a South Asian uh, heritage, um, so I think there's there's that to learn from from I guess typical Western culture. But obviously, when we when we see it from a South Asian perspective, there's so much uh, rich heritage and culture that we have ourselves. Um, so I think we can kind of hold the two together instead of I guess um, choosing between the two, which is um, sometimes problematic for some. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that everybody has their own journey to find their cultural identity. It could be very, very personal in some cases. Um, I, I know it's been personal for a lot of people I know growing up here, even though it's a, quite the diverse area. And so it's definitely a battle every day, you know, placing yourself in a world where um, things can be so black and white, you know. And so um, as we're talking about this nonprofit zone and South Asians emerging past traditional molds, how would you say their emerging leaders in the younger generation are doing, what are they doing to inspire the Brown community? And is youth activism sparking in South Asian households and are we seeing a bigger movement? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think uh I, I, as long as you know i was in the states for for only two years but within those two years i was able to see yeah so many different organizations and initiatives within the, the south asian community that were started by young people uh, especially um you know college students and and even you know graduates um people who are working in the sector who who wanted to make a change right um so that's been really great to see you know the south asian emerging pioneers um, and I've been I've been definitely on board to encourage um, young people to see you know what are the ways that they can sort of tap into their own passions and pursuits and sort of use that as a way to channel uh, inspiration to other young people um, I, I've been a bit 
big advocate for that. Um, and especially, I guess, using uh, non-traditional routes to do that, right? So, so typically we sort of say, um, or at least I've kind of noticed within the South Asian communities, like, you know, get a stable career and then, you know, a few years down the line when you have enough money or resources, you can support your community or give back is sort of what we've been taught um, as younger South Asians. Um, but I think the tide is turning towards um, almost the reverse, I would say, uh, where, where younger South Asians are able to kind of say, no, actually, there's a way to do it um, in the present instead of waiting for, like, you know, decades later to, to sort of make a, a change. So I think people are being able to use... Uh, their own path or forge their own path to do that, um, especially with, within the activism strain. Um, I, I've definitely seen that happen. Uh, a lot more younger people, you know, even um, people who who might not have fully understood, you know, the tradition or the history um, behind youth activism um, have definitely gotten on board. And, and there has been a movement to encourage that, especially amongst the diaspora. Um, I've definitely seen that. Um, so it, it's definitely very exciting. It's, we're living in exciting times. And I think the movement will definitely keep on progressing and growing. Um, I've been I've been one to sort of um, observe how movements kind of change and develop over time and see how I can use my own skills and um, my abilities to sort of push that forward in my own community. Um, so, so it's, yeah, it's definitely, um, inspiring times for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would you say, um, is your biggest advice to younger Brown folk who are trying to break the traditional norm in terms of cultural expectations and even career paths? Yeah, definitely. I would say, um, to younger South Asians, um, definitely don't be afraid to try something different. Um, something outside the norm because um, you never know who will be there within your community to support you. Uh, I was really surprised um, in my own journey, like a lot of older South Asians, especially like elders in our community were the first to support um, when I started talking about, you know, the issues like mental health amongst younger South Asians or even uh, when I was uh, I was talking recently on a panel for um, the South Asian Youth Initiative uh, when they were doing an anti-blackness panel, um, and there was a lot of people on that call um, that were over the age of fifty. So I think it's it's definitely a movement that's changing uh, a lot more. Um, first generation and older are definitely trying to um, see ways that younger people are able to. Um, bring new ideas and new changes and, and a lot of people are embracing that uh, which which didn't happen to be honest a couple of years ago there's definitely a lot more um, I guess a rejection of new ideas um, to put it bluntly but yeah it, it's been good to see that change I think this will this will definitely continue moving forward um, obviously there's always new changes coming about um, in the area of youth activism and nonprofit spaces, just because there's so many new organizations, new initiatives happening. And there's definitely a lot of resources out there for people to get involved, uh, especially younger South Asians, for sure. 
Yeah. And so this next generation of younger South Asians, I know we are kind of all trying to, I think Generation Z in particular is a very politically charged generation. But at the same time, as you brought up, we have other concerns like mental health. And I know that intersects into the minority space for all minority groups, but for South Asians in particular, I think cultural norms and expectations being a very, I guess you could say, um, you know, high accomplishment, big strides kind of group pushes people into directions in terms of career paths, definitely that we were just talking about. But as for mental health, what would you say is, you know, the cause for younger South Asians to be one of, you know, the most loneliest and depressed generations that we've seen so far and what are we seeing doing being done about that right now yeah that's a great question um i think um i mean i've only been in in sort of the advocacy space for mental health the last couple of years especially when the pandemic happened right there's a lot more people especially online um amongst the south asian community able to share their unique stories and experiences i think the internet was a great platform for that because obviously everyone was online so there's definitely a big a bit more push for readership and and people able to share their story uh, in in that uh, in that way um but obviously mental health has been a big issue amongst the south asian community for for, for decades um, I, I definitely don't think it's a new phenomenon. I guess it's just because people are able or encouraged um, more than ever that, that they can share it and there's no judgment um, from people because obviously a lot more people have experienced it and are willing to share. Um, as an example, uh, the, the biggest um, organization or platform, I guess, uh, here in Australia is called the Mental Health Foundation of Australia. Um, it's been around since the 1800s. Um, but interestingly, uh, in the last couple of years, most of the management or leadership of the of the foundation, um, which is on a national level, uh, are actually run by first and second generation South Asians. Uh, I know for a fact that uh, the chairman, um, the directors, they're all Indians. Um, and, and a lot of the youth ambassadors, um, including myself, are South Asians. So it's definitely great to see that trajectory shift um a lot more people are willing to um, advocate for that um but that certainly wasn't the case a couple of years ago and like i said i think the pandemic was sort of the the bigger catalyst behind that because uh when people were isolated and and obviously in quarantine in the earlier um the earlier months of the pandemic you know going back to 2020 uh, I think a lot more people were obviously secluded and they couldn't go out or connect within, you know, the public community. They couldn't really um, share their experiences, uh, you know, face to face. So a lot more people who were typically engaged in community almost became disconnected. Um, and that led to obviously a lot more mental health issues. And I'm sure in the States it was the same as a lot of government funding going towards, especially younger generation, mental health research and uh, platforms um, for advocacy in that regard. Uh, but uh, for me personally, I think I was able just to share my story online and then I was um, appointed as a mental health multicultural ambassador um, for the Mental Health Foundation here, um, which, which typically meant just going into communities, obviously, 
trying to connect online, you know, creating support groups um, for, for Indians and Pakistani um, uh, communities, um, especially those under the age of 35. Uh, we we're doing monthly calls, uh, online forums, things like that. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of momentum and it's still going obviously. Um, but I was just really impressed by the number of South Asians that came forward and, and said, you know, we also want to get involved in advocating for this in our own community and kind of breaking the taboo or the silence um, surrounding that. Um, and there's been a plethora of different resources on that, which which I can touch on um, or we can provide to the listeners for sure. Um, so that people can just be aware that there are safe spaces um, to share your experiences. Um, it's not like you have to live in fear or isolation that you're the only one going through you know, your own experience or your own, own mental health journey. I think the uh, the irony um, behind isolation is that we're all going through it, right? We often think that we're the only one um, who experiences it. Um, but it's definitely, yeah, it's great to know that there's others out there uh, willing to share their story um, and, and definitely know that you're not alone in that. Yeah, I think oftentimes we forget how tangible a lot of these mental health resources actually are, even though they're online. I think we forget the power of the fact that we are an Internet generation and that connecting with people who have the same, like you said, ironic struggles as us is definitely not only just a helping hand, but providing more, um, you know, cultural competency and support than we could ever imagine. And so as we're Wrapping up here, what would you say your biggest message is to South Asian youth and what do you want to see happen in the next couple of years? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would definitely encourage um, South Asians, I mean, definitely be willing to embrace your own cultural identity, uh, even if it's, if it's something you don't fully understand, right? Like I mentioned, I think we're all on a different a journey to everyone else. Um, there's obviously unique challenges and struggles that come with being a South Asian. Um, but uh, yeah, just knowing that there is such a big community um, that supports you and is there for you and you don't have to feel like you have your own unique issues um, or, or problems uh, when it comes to being a South Asian, you know, hate it or love it. I think it's part of us and and there's definitely room for um, change and, and the, in terms of the way that we see ourselves. So yeah, don't be afraid to try some something new, something different within the community. Be willing to challenge others when you see prejudices or biases that people have when it comes to, you know, cultural identity or be even being South Asian in, in a predominant culture that isn't, right? Um, I think there's definitely resources and, and platforms there to express yourself, um, whether online or offline, um, and definitely be willing to, to do your research, try and connect with um, your own unique community. Um, I know there's, there's so many uh, different ways to, to be a South Asian within your own context um, and be willing to sort of champion that change. Um, that would be my biggest advice. Yeah, thank you so much. I think definitely uh, being part of the online South Asian space 
we've seen a lot of really great movements happening, a lot of support coming from inside our community and outside. And as we are all grappling with our identity, I think this was definitely a message to be heard. And, um, you know, just letting other people know that the journey of finding your cultural identity and breaking these traditional norms is definitely something that everybody has to go through as a part of this space at some point. And so it's really important to get those resources and be aware of them. Speaking of, we will be putting all the resources um, in the description box, so feel free to go ahead and check those out. And I think we're wrapping up here. So thank you so much for being on the podcast, Joseph. It was lovely to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we'll see you guys next time.